Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. We're back, it's Brendan here with Mark, episode 155, Friday, September 18th, 2020. And what a week it's been, Mark, I don't know about you, but it's been crazy as usual, but before we get into the craziness, um, we want to talk about the website, vetgurus.com, patreon.com, where you can support us by giving us a dollar or two a month, that's all you need to do to help support us for all our overheads and our costs. And a bit of a shout-out. We've decided to do a bit of a shout-out every week to the countries. And we had a bit of a laugh at this, didn't we, Mark? The countries where there is one subscriber or listener. And we have a list of about 15 countries where we only have one person in that country listening to us. So, gee, it would be fantastic if they that person got back to us after we do a shout-out to them, wouldn't it, Mark? It would be excellent. And, like, you know, both you and I are a bit you know, bit of a pair of loners and we know what it's like <laughs> to be on our own. So we identify with these, uh, you know, leaders in their country, the first to get on board a new wave. Um, yep, so we'd be very glad to hear from them. What countries did you... We, we, we want to hear from our friend, our one and only friend in Guatemala, Mark. Excellent. We have one friend in Guatemala. So if you are listening... Today, this week, next year, whenever, um, and you hear this episode, send us an email to vetgurus at gmail.com and say hello and, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Why are you so alone like us? <laughs> and why do you listen to us? And uh, what sort of part do you play in the veterinary industry? So, yes, say hello um, to us and hello to you, Mr. or Ms. or Mrs. or Miss or non-gender person in Guatemala, say so we um, we thank you for listening to us and we'd love to hear from you. And we'll shout out to another country next week. Now, speaking of countries, Mark, you want to talk about universes. You want to, you've been to the stars and back. Tell me about this. I have been to the stars and back, Brendan. I went to um, – we had a – Kate and I went we, – you guys can't do this in Victoria, you realise, but um, we travelled up to Narrabri over the weekend and spent some time at the – uh, Australian CSIRO um, radio telescope array just outside Narrabri. And um, I took the camera up there, set it up on the tripod and got some long exposure shots of the uh, of the radio telescope with the uh, Milky Way in the background. It was a heap of fun, Brendan. I had the best time. And then did a bit of travelling through the Pilliger on the way back, looking at the, um, the wonderful Australian outback bush and uh, checking out the wildlife and the wildflowers. The wildflowers were ridiculous, but, yep, had a great time looking at the Milky Way. Yes, and you did send me one of your amazing photographs there, a time-lapse photo there at night, and it was wonderful. And, yes, I am very jealous, and for those listeners who don't know, we're in a hard lockdown here in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia still, which hopefully will be... Easing off a bit in a few weeks, but yes, we have a curfew. Um, even yeah, well, this is this is my excitement for the week. It was my wife Annie came home today and she said I've, I'm a bit embarrassed. 
something embarrassing happened to me today, she said, Mark. Oh, no. And I said, what What went on? Are you okay? Uh, and she went out and did the um, shopping, and we tend to go once a week. And with the restrictions here, the, the, the law is that only one person can go to the supermarket, Mark. I didn't know whether you know that, but only one person of a family is allowed to go into the supermarket. You can't take the kids and the... They were the partners, the wife and the husband, etc., and, and all go in and traipse around the supermarket. So um, she was there on her own doing the shopping with a huge trolley. Um, she put the trolley on the little travelator, the escalator, um, to head up to where the, her car was parked, and she got near the top of the escalator and she had um, a big bag of all the fruit and veggies that she'd purchased and um, out pops a huge tub of blueberries, Mark. Oh, no. <laughs> Bouncing, rolling <laughs> um, down the travelator. The whole thing burst open and um, she said, I was just so – and she had her mask on, obviously, because you have to have your mask on. Um, she said, I just turned so red, even under my mask, I think you would have seen. Um, and <laughs> she – just took off to a car. <laughs> Poor but she Annie. Felt, but being Annie, Annie being Annie, she got home and she phoned up the supermarket <laughs> and she said, I'm sorry to say this, but I just don't want anybody to step on some blueberries or to sleep or hurt themselves. Um, and she told him the story that what had happened if, if somebody could please go out and have a look at the little escalator there and see if there's any, any blueberry um, blueberries that have been traumatized and um hopefully nobody's um so that's how you know you're out photographing the um the outer reaches of our solar system mark and um we're coping with blueberries yeah so that's the difference (laughs) (laughs) i think people around the world should know that um if i understand correctly you guys are in the hardest lockdown of anywhere on the planet well I think we're almost at the longest. Um, we're not quite at the longest period with the now we call it stage four here, but um, yeah, it's pretty close to um, both being the toughest and also the hardest lockdown. So we have a curfew, although they've released, they've lowered that um, to instead of eight p.m. curfew, Mark, till five in the morning. I think it's nine p.m. till six in the morning or something like that, or four in the morning, something like that. Um, yeah, and you can only exercise within five kilometres for previously one hour per day, um, but they've increased it for two hours. You're not allowed to visit anybody um, apart from exceptional circumstances like um, carer, carers and going to work. Um, you need a work permit. So I had to print off all these work permits, so a travel permit. So if you are pulled over by the police, not that I know of anybody who has, um, Any time during the day, and you're quizzed. You know what are you doing? Why aren't you within five kilometres of your home? You can pull out your little work permit, um, saying that you know you're on the way to work, and this is where I work, and I'm in between home and work. Um, and, so it and, is quite restrictive. Yeah. And for all these, um, you know, quite onerous um, restrictions, um, I've got to pay credit where credit's due, and and you guys taking on that responsibility collectively as a state have turned it around in your state and therefore for our country. Um, I think the, you know, today there was, um, there was at one stage you were getting like 700 new cases a day and you're down to yes. what, less than, less than 10? Less than 
yeah, 50. I, I, I well, 10, I don't but. know how many it was today. I must admit I don't. And he keeps tabs of all that, and I try not to. I try to ignore it um, and not look too much. But, yes, it's it's getting to the stage now where they are. Um, and this is a greater Melbourne region that, that has the hard restrictions, but they will be um, easing the restrictions that they have in country Victoria as well, um, I think, within a day or so. Um, and hopefully within another couple of weeks we'll be back down to level three. Whatever that is, I can't remember, but, um, yeah. We're all proud Fun of you. Fun at times. Fun at times. Thanks for um, taking one for the team. And um, thanks for taking a photo for the team <laughs> of the stars. So you wanted to read out an email, Mark. We better get moving. So I do. Um, we have an email from a, a very avid listener to and subscriber to our podcast. We love it when Nick sends us a message and this one he's uh, written, I'm enjoying the podcast as always. I've been catching up on a few episodes and I have to say that the Bird Hernia episode was particularly interesting. I was wondering if you thought that the pathogenesis of the hernias in leopard geckos where eggs are found within the hernia was the same as for birds as mentioned. Um, and I, this is, you like me to be punchy, Brendan, and so I'm going to be. It is. There's not a doubt in the world that uh, that whole process of hormones and muscle weakness, exercise, nutrition, all lead to the same thing, straining with the large egg and then the abdominal wall tears, just as in the birds, and then we've got a problem. Um, uh, so Nick reports that he hadn't been seeing a lot of birds previously, but uh, since moving to a new practice, he's seeing many more. Um, and he reports that a colleague jokingly told him that they're just reptiles with feathers. Um, but I don't know where the joke is in that uh, in that statement, Brendan. Um, Uh, he's a man of your own heart, isn't he? And uh, he's, he also f- he finishes up with saying it's been a good excuse to go back and listen to your bird episode. So thank you very much, Nick, and keep those emails emails coming no matter no matter how many you send. Um, we'll either ignore them or, or read them out. So um, keep doing it. Um, well, I don't think we've got – well, we won't do any reviews this week, Mark, because we, we need to – Brendan, I'm sweating. I, we do need to crack on, but – Geez, you've you've been wetting my appetite. You've been talking about something you're going to review, and geez, I'm I know it's not going to happen today, but I'm looking forward to whatever it is. I'm excited. I've, I've got a few things I can review. Well, they're probably not that exciting. Some of them, so um, I might ease you into it with a with a non veterinary related review next week, Mark. Um, so my news story this week is that it's this one. I think this one was. It was sent to us by one of our researchers, and uh, we've had a few researchers come out of the woods lately, haven't we? We've got two or three people who are sending us regular stories, so thank you all for that. Um, and I did happen to see this one in a separate a separate bulletin as well, but um, this was about a new species of alligator snapping turtle, Mark, that they'd found, the Suwanee alligator snapping turtle, um, according to Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. They pulled out a 45-kilogram one, Mark. Um, Jeez. It's, I don't know whether you've seen the pictures of yeah. it, but I'll, I'll post a link to it. And um, the reason why I like this is um, two things. I've... I've been, I've treated a few alligator snapping turtles in my lifetime, mainly from um, a particular wildlife park that has some 
legally on a license, and they the two the two that I've seen um, are virtually the same size as this one that 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 man is holding there, Mark, in the link that we'll have at vetgurus.com. They're big buggers and um, they're ugly um, things and you don't want to put your finger near those jaws, Mark, because you won't have any fingers left or potentially a, half your hand will be taken off with those um, that beak there, that really sharp cutting um, beak that they have. So, yes, um, this was... Um, the, this was the um, the particular um, Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission uh, collaborating with researchers in Florida and Georgia on the new species um, to document the distribution and the relative abundance of this species, which, which is a state-threatened species. And they believe that the ones they've, they've captured or caught um, are between 40 and 80 years of age, Mark, and um, the they're really sort of prehistoric-looking animals, aren't they? The old um, um, alligator snapping turtles. Have you, have you seen these ones um, in the flesh, Mark? I have seen one in the flesh. They are prehistoric, but beautiful animals, and and surprisingly big. Yes, yes. So that's my story. Just about that they've um, found that they're doing a bit of a survey of these um, of this um, um, to see how many there are of this particularly threatened species, and no doubt they'll probably classify them as endangered <laughs> once they realise there's not that many. Brendan, is that, that is that um, river? Is that the um, the Swanee River? Is that is that of the famous song? God, are you are you? Um, I don't know. Tried just... to, uh... <laughs> I've got I've got an interesting article too, um, and this one has a personal involvement for me. Um, my article talks about uh, how some researchers have um, have uh, assisted a wild bird population to um, to beat a dangerous feather parasite, which um, the bird in question is the uh, um, is the forty spot pardalote. Um, a really, really special little bird that lives in Tasmania. Um, they are um, they're farmers, Brendan. They require very specific gum trees with uh, lerps, those little sap-sucking insects that suck onto the leaves, and they they farm them. Uh, they don't eat the lerps. They eat the excreta of the lerps who suck the sap and turn it into a sweet, sugary secretion. Um, and they breed in hollows. And the problem is that uh, there's a fly, uh, Passeromyia longicornis, which um, loves these nests. Um, and they hop in there, they lay eggs on the newly hatched pardalotes, and the maggots burrow into the skins of the baby birds, sucking their blood and eventually killing them, killing as many as 90% in some recent uh, surveys conducted by Ms. Fernanda Alves, who's part of the Difficult Bird Research Group at the ANU. So what they've done, Brendan, is that uh, they've set up a, um, a fumigation process. Um, so they uh, um, they initially thought, oh, we'll um, just puff something into the nest, but manual spraying of the nests, with, it was difficult. It was effective, but difficult because so many of the nests were way, way up high in the trees and accessing them was not just difficult, almost impossible in some cases. So partalotes spend a fair bit of time 
collecting bird feathers to build their nest with. Um, and so taking advantage of this natural instinct, the bird, the, the researchers stuffed wire dispensers with sterile chicken feathers um, that were treated with uh, a bird-safe insecticide. And the birds just collected them, whacked them up into their nests, and instead of having a like 10% survival rate, um, the fledgling rate jumped to 95%. Um, and this critically endangered species occurring only in a small part of Tasmania has had an immense boost as a result of the uh, ingenuity of the uh, researchers at the Difficult Bird Research Group. It's awesome, Brendan. It's a pretty amazing result, isn't it, Mark? Jeez, that is amazing. 10 to 95. If only I could do that to my university results, Brendan. I want to start up the Difficult Human Research Group. <laughs> want to join me? Oh, am I the subject or the um, researcher? Yeah, we're, we're the founders. <laughs> yeah, we're the grandfathers. <laughs> uh, no, that was – it's it's amazing. And, and you have um, – you have admiration for this, the difficult avian research group, haven't you? I do. I, I um, uh, correspond with them often. They're involved in the partalotes, the swift parrots, the regent honeyeaters. They do an awful lot of outstanding research and, um, and I uh, try and sponsor them wherever I can, contribute to their work. They've, they've been doing a bit of stuff with those swift parrot you know, there's some illegal logging going on in Tasmania uh, for firewood and um, they're taking down some swift parrot habitat trees and just little things like that um, make, particularly for these species that are on the brink, they make a world of difference. So I'm a big supporter, Brendan. Excellent. Yes, and we'll have the full link to the whole story and there's a bit of a video that goes with it on our website with the link to this particular episode, vetgurus.com. Well, let's jump into our main topic, Mark, and um, this is one dear to your heart, isn't it, Mark? Um, <laughs> you just said you wanted to do this one, and that's transformation in rabbits, a.k.a. the poo milkshake, as we call it here, and I know a lot of people call it the same. So let's talk about the poo milkshake, Mark. What is it in rabbit? And we'll stick to just rabbits. Um, what is it? Why do you do it? Does it work? And how do you do it is what we're going to cover. So where do you want to start, Mark? Well, let's start at the beginning. What is it? It's um, literally the process of collecting some droppings from healthy rabbits um, and in mixing them up, we usually mix them up with um, with the wonderful critical care. Um, we probably use, I don't know, I'll, I'll talk about what we use in a minute, but um, uh, essentially what we're trying to do is recolonize the gut. We have rabbits who are, um, have some gastrointestinal disturbance that's led to a dysbiosis, um, and in an attempt to return that to normal, um, rather than wait for nature to place the correct bacteria in there, we try and um, uh, slip some in to increase the numbers of bacteria quickly and return particularly the fauna in the cecum to normal as quickly as possible. That's the general gist of it, Brendan. Yes, and I pulled up a couple of papers, Mark, just to, just to double-check that um, your logic is sound and as usual. It is more than sound um, with... with um, one of the papers was a 2001 um, paper that 
The title was Normal Bacteria Flora of the Rabbit Gastrointestinal Tract, a Clinical Approach. And it basically summarised the types of bugs that are normally in there and the predominant microflora in the GI tract of rabbits. And in young rabbits, it's mostly streptococci and enterobacteria, whereas in adult rabbits, small intestine, cecum and colon, um, bacteroides cover a lot of it. Um, since that article, there's been other ones that sort of detail them in, in, in more, well, in more detail there. Um, but it was hinting about the fact that if they're placed on antibiotics, obviously we can upset that, that the normal gut um, biome mark. And that's where our, our poo milk shapes come in. So yeah, why do we do it? So how often, how often would you, attempt a poo milkshake mark um, i must admit that we do it rarely um, and i probably should be doing it more often um, the ones i would select it for would be the chronic rabbits with those sloppy droppings that just not get in there and we, we, we have a bit of a history or a hint that it's potentially tied in with well, probably something that I've done um, to induce <laughs> it um, as part of trying to treat some other condition, um, whether it's a you know dental disease with a abscess or something or whatever. Um, and changing the diet, I always try and concentrate on on going back to basics with the diet and put them on a really bland diet and and making sure that the client isn't feeding them things they shouldn't. Um, and as we've spoken several times, lots of times, Mark, it's amazing how, um, what clients feed their animals and what they tell you they feed their animals <laughs> mm. is often different. Um, and that's where the tip um, for new vets and, and veterinary nurses, technicians, um, when they're dropping off the patient, that rabbit for day surgery always asks the client to bring in a sample of their food to, to give them a little lunchbox to feed them at, at um, once they've woken up from the surgery because not only do we want them to be eating after surgery, but it gives you a really good idea of what they actually do feed their, their rabbits at home. So a little you're, bit off topic. but You're full of there. those good tips, Brendan. You're full of those so, good tips. So I was going to say, how often, next, well, how often do I do it? Not as often as you would think. And um, it's an interesting, there was a couple of interesting points I was going to make. I think if you were to be like like you are, Brendan, absolutely zealous and perfectionist, um, what you would try and do is gain some of the seekotrophs. You'd get a hand on some of the seekotrophs and you probably would, um, you know, uh, uh, um, provide a, a, um, an enema. Um, that's probably a more effective way to uh, inoculate um, the cecum with the appropriate bug. So I do want to highlight that um, what we're doing might be second best. But um, I also think that um, there's probably specific, you know, we see lots, as you do, lots of rabbits that have gastrointestinal upset. And I think the vast majority of those rabbits probably don't benefit from... Um, from attempts at transformation. Um, but there are certain, there's a, a group, as you hinted, there's a group of patients who I think um, it's an excellent tool to help with. Um, and um, they probably fall into three categories. Um, the first one is uh, um, we will see a small number of rabbits who come to us from uh, um, naive practitioners who've given them uh maybe some penicillin antibiotics um, and um, and the rabbits are in a, an acute dysbiosis um, and 
and as part of the suite of treatments we would do for those rabbits, um, we feel that in that emergency situation, a an attempt to re-inoculate the gut um, uh, does help us with some of those. They're critical rabbits. A lot of them are going to die. Um, but um, I my impression from our cases is that we uh, pull a few more through if we um, do the... the do we do perform a transformation exercise? The other group of rabbits that I um, frequently use this for, there's a um, there seems to be a group of um, of uh, I don't know wean weanling post just post weanling rabbits, um, and these rabbits will uh, in you know in my opinion haven't formed they've gone through that. Uh, Gram negative phase and they're slipping into bacteroides um, and um, and there just seems to be some fault in the development of the normal adult flora and I think my theory is that these rabbits like quite literally shared most of the contents of their um, cecum and I've got a couple of neat radiographs with um, um, you know vacant uh, uh, um, vacant um, um, uh, cecum and so um, with those rabbits when we're literally trying to pour food into them because they're often hypoglycemic and we want to get nutrients into them um, we do uh, supplement those critical care feeds with um, uh, um, with droppings with rabbit droppings to try and inoculate the gut as quickly as possible and you hit the third category when you were mentioning those there's just this group of um, uh I don't know they just intermittently have some diarrhea. They're poor doers. They're struggling, um, and while we spend a lot of time trying to identify the the constellation of problems that might lead to that as a symptomatic treatment for those rabbits, we will, um, you know, if they've been ticking over for a few months and just never quite had great rabbit pellets, um, they're always a bit sloppy, we'll, um, we'll definitely hit those guys up. So they're sort of the three groups that we use it. And we probably, I don't know, it's not a uh, an everyday phenomenon, but we're probably um, trying to talk to, and we're lucky to have quite a good collection of clients where we, you know, healthy rabbit donor, uh, stool donors. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, once every uh, something between a week and a month, we're calling someone up going, oh, can you drop down a little bag of ball bearings for us to try and get this rabbit a little bit further along? Well, I think the other the other advantage is of most of these rabbits are usually bonded with a little mate and you can select some poo from its little mate as well, can't you, um, to help with that as well. So the process of doing it, Mark, so what is your recommendations? How do you give that that beautiful milkshake. <laughs> well, um, we uh, literally generally take, um, for your average, I don't know what, two, one and a half, two kilo rabbit, we take uh, between 15 and 20 normal rabbit pellets. Um, we macerate those in a little bit of water and then we mix it with the appropriate volume of um, critical care, um, uh, critical care uh, um uh, food from um, uh, the Oxbow com company, um, and um, and we feed them. We're feeding them the critical care, like 
for most of these critical rabbits, we're probably doing that six times a day. Um, and so probably uh, one or two of the morning feeds, we're going to um, uh, put those pellets in, mix in with the critical care and, uh, and just feed the rabbits um, as we would with critical care any other time. I think the other thing to say about that, Brendan, is that I do, I've always worried that the process, you know, the, the argument is that um, the acidic nature of the stomach sterilizes, uh, you know, um, the bacteria that, you know, kills the bacteria that might be put in. I think that, that well, it seems to me that these rabbits do get better, a proportion of them do get better when we do this more quickly than we would otherwise expect. And I think the acidity of the stomach is is not right. I'd think the bacteria can survive passage through the stomach because the pH of the stomach is not in the normal range. Um, and I think sometimes some of our uh, supplementary treatments such as uh, ranitidine and uh, maybe some um, uh, sucralfate, those sorts of things, limit the pH changes in the stomach and facilitate survival of the bacteria across that hostile environment so they can colonise the cecum. Well, as usual, Mark, you've summarised it completely, comprehensively. And I don't think there's any really much more I can add to that. Um, I've got one question for you just before we finish up because you want to be punchy. Um, <laughs> um, do we um, – to? I, I haven't. I've not done this. Um, but I, I suspect there will come a case where I want to – like I don't have – you know, I can't. The, our staff are great at getting the rabbits to take the critical care. It's such a great product that once they can get them to eat it, they, it, you know, it, it, they usually consume it relatively avidly. Um, but the, I'm going to come across a rabbit that doesn't do. Have you tubed one of these rabbits to get stuff into them, Brendan? Hello, hello, hello. Yes, I was speaking, but I was on mute. Uh, not that I can recall. Um, I usually just try and give it to them orally without having to, to tube them, yeah. Um, yes, I, I just maybe, but um, certainly can't remember any case that I've done it that way, yeah. So I think, like, you know, one of the key takeaways with this is um, we need to always constantly think about what is the normal gut biome of of rabbits and what may we be doing to upset that um, and try and lim limit that and when we have these chronic changes in these rabbits that we may have to consider doing something like this which you know it's a bit of a upswing with with poo milkshakes in humans isn't it that they've found, found some pretty m remarkable results with some people who have had chronic um, irritable bowel type or, or variations on inflammatory bowel syndromes haven't they Mark? Um, and I think um, the, while we're um, singing the praises of the wonderful Oxbow com company, did, well, did, wasn't there a presentation at the last uh, the last UPAV I attended? Um, uh, wasn't one of their weren't they doing some research in the US on on the actual individual um, species involved in that biome besides the general sweep of Bacteroides? Do I remember that correctly? Whether it was this year or the year or two, um, so last year or the year or so before, I think was it Micah? Yes, it was Micah. 
who did a presentation on that, um, but I can't remember which year it was. It was two or three years ago, I think. Um, yes, it was excellent sort of summary of that. And I'm sure Oxbow USA would be able to supply a copy of that if anybody's interested, so contact them at Oxbow USA um, and just do a search for them and hassle them and say the vet guru sent you there um, and see what happens. You'll probably be respond with silence <laughs> from them. So any any final comments, Mark? But, yeah, I, th- I think it's an interesting one um, and well, well due to talk about transformation in rabbits and it's probably something that we'll also mention in other species to try and recolonise the, the normal um, gut biome in, in these species where, where things aren't quite right with them and uh, it's like the old days when we graduated Mark and they tried to hammer into us don't just put any dog that has a, um, sudden diarrhoea on antibiotics and yet I'm sure you probably had it the first couple of vet clinics that you work with with the old school. Um, the first thing they do with a with a dog that comes in with acute diarrhea is is pop it on some form of antibiotic, which is which is crazy. Um, so at least we've we've changed a bit and we're we're a little bit more cognizant, aren't we, of of the right thing to do and the proper thing to do with these. Um, so I think with that, Mark. We will say huru from the gurus and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Hold up. 